Would you open them, please, to the Old Testament, to the book of Habakkuk? Some of you are saying, say that again, Pastor. Habakkuk. Now, if you have found Isaiah, if you have found Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, you're heading in the right direction for those of you that are wondering where it's at. When you see Joel and you see Jonah, you're in the parking lot. When you see Nahum and Sepaniah, you just need to pull right in between them. Okay? Is that helping you any? All right, 967 in my Bible. Just turn to that page. Habakkuk. Three-chapter little book with a very pertinent, very relevant message for you and I today. How to keep on singing as we carry on into the future. How to keep on singing as we carry on. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. These two verses are pretty much a summary of everything he's already said. See, he was a preacher. So he's summarizing his message now. And this is what he says in verse 18 to those of his day and to you and I this morning. He says, Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. Habakkuk 3 verse 18. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. Yet will I find my joy in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And he will make my feet like the feet of deer. He will give me the ability to walk up to the high places. I will rejoice in the Lord. The election is over. Some of you are elated. You're dancing in the streets. Others of you are depressed. You're crying in the closets. Some of you are strutting. Others of you are staggering. Some of you are singing happy days or here again. Others of you are singing the old hee-haw hit song, Gloom, Despair, and Agony on Me. Some of you think heaven has come down. Others of you think hell has come up. But listen to your pastor. The truth of the matter is this. Whether you're happy or whether you're sad, If an election determines your happiness or sadness, you are a pitiful person. I was asked if I was joyful about who won the election. And I said I was. But you know, the truth of the matter is, if the other candidate would have won the election, I would have been just as joyful. You see, my joy, and I hope your joy, is not found in Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or anybody else. Our joy is found in Jesus. And that's what Habakkuk is talking about to his nation and to his people as they were going through some very turbulent times in his day. And that's what he's saying to you and I today as we head into what might be some turbulent days ahead for our nation and for you 
and I the people of America. The theme of Habakkuk, the message of Habakkuk is very simple. Don't let anyone or anything steal your joy and shake your faith in God. Carry on no matter what the situation. Carry on no matter what the circumstance. Carry on no matter who's in office. Just carry on. And carry on with the song on your lips because you got a song in your heart. You know, it's kind of sad to see how low our nation has went spiritually. And it's evidenced not by, well, I guess it is evidenced by the two candidates we had to choose from, but it's more evidenced by the reaction of people after this election. How miserable it must be to have to put your hope in everything down here because you have nothing up there. And yet we see some people are just falling apart because their candidate didn't win. They're in, they're in a panic mode. They're rioting. They're destroying property. You know what that is a sign of? It's a, it's a sign of they're lacking something spiritual. That this is all they have is right here. And, and when this that they have right here is slipping away, they don't know what to do. Ladies and gentlemen, in Habakkuk's day, the people were panicking as well. You see, times were tough in his day. Immorality was high. Everything wicked and evil under the sun was being practiced by the people of Israel. Not only was immorality high, but spirituality was low. You had to look long and hard to find somebody who loved the Lord in that day. Foolishness and wickedness were in. Wisdom and righteousness were out. The weak were being assaulted. The godly were being assailed. Everywhere you looked in Israel in that day, whether you looked in the, the offices of the rulers or whether you looked in the homes of the people, all you could see was carnality, crookedness, corruption, and chaos. Habakkuk was God's man. He was the Billy Graham, you will, of his day. And he spoke to the nation. He spoke to the people. He spoke to the leadership. And he also spoke to God. If you turn to Habakkuk chapter 1, you'll notice that he cries out to God for justice. He says, God, I know you're a God of grace. I know you're a God of mercy. I know you're a God of long-suffering. I know you're a God of patience. But Lord, this nation needs you to intervene. Our people need you to intervene. Idolatry, immorality are running rampant. God, do something. Notice he says in verse 2 of chapter 1, O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto you of the violence and the wickedness and you will not save. And then God speaks to him. You know, God does hear and answer prayers. In verse 5 and 6, I want you to notice God's answer as the prophet prays for justice. Be careful what you pray for. In verse 5, 
The Lord says, Behold you among the heathen, and regard, pay attention, and pay attention to what I'm about to wonderfully and marvelously do. For I'm about to perform a work in your days that you're not going to believe, even if I was to tell you. Verse 6, this is what God's going to do. I am going to raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation which shall march through the breadth of this land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and they are dreadful. And their judgment and their dignity or their reputation will precede them. Habakkuk cries out to God, God, how long, how long, how long? And God says, I've heard and answered your prayer. Justice is coming. Justice is coming in the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, if you will. God was about to use a a pagan nation. God was about to use a wicked people to punish his nation and to punish his people because they have walked away from him. Israel is now going to be owned by Babylon and the people of Israel are going to be destroyed by the Babylonians. Ladies and gentlemen, when a nation gets too big for its britches, when a people get too high in the saddle when it comes to the things of God, God has a way of dealing with the nation and the people. And he's now going to deal with his own nation, the apple of his eye, and his own people, the chosen ones. The Babylonians came. They abducted the children of Israel and took them back and indoctrinated them into becoming Babylonians. They enslaved the women, took them back to Babylon and made them servants, and they murdered the men. The Babylonians took no prisoners. They gave no quarter. They showed no mercy. The four horsemen of the apocalypse of Babylon came and they marched through Israel. And those four horses were named desecration, destruction, death, and damnation. Can you imagine knowing that's going to happen? Habakkuk says, Lord, this, this, my country's falling apart. It's falling down. It's falling away. Lord, why don't you do something? It's, it's engulfed in immorality. It's engulfed in idolatry. It's engulfed in injustice. It's engulfed in iniquity. God, why don't you do something? And God says, I am going to do something. I'm sending the Babylonians against you. I'm going to discipline you using the Babylonians. Habakkuk saw what was happening and he saw what was going to come. But you know something? He still had a song, didn't he? Because what does he say at the end of the chapter 3? He says, yet will I, what? Rejoice in the Lord. Even though I see what's going on around me right now, even though I know what the future is going to be for 70 years, he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. 
I will find my joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God will be my strength. He will give me feet like a deer. I'll be able to climb up to the mountain, the high mountain, and there have his peace, joy, and hope as I reside with him. We can't let an election steal our joy. We can't let what's going on in our country steal our joy. We can't let what may be in the future come steal our joy. We always should have joy. Song here that shows here and is heard this way. Dr. R.A. Torrey was one of the great theologians and Bible preachers of his day. And this great man of faith all of a sudden found himself at a gravesite. He and his wife were about to bury their 12-year-old daughter. You know, we expect our children to bury us, don't we? But when you've got to stand at the gravesite of one of your own children, it's got to be a very shaking thing. A sad thing, a sorrowful thing that's beyond words. Some of you have been there and I, you know what I'm talking about. I hope nobody else ever has to be. And as he stood over the gravesite of his 12-year-old daughter Elizabeth, he had some prepared notes because he was going to speak her eulogy. And in the midst of the sadness and sorrow and shock, R.A. Torrey said something happened. Joy began to fill his mind and heart. So much in fact that the notes that he had to read for the eulogy, he detoured and went off course with his remarks. He hadn't wrote these words down, but this is what came out of his mouth in essence. He said, I'm glad Elizabeth, our daughter, is with the Lord. She's not in the casket. Wow. That's not her in the casket. She's with Jesus. She's more alive right now than she's ever been. She is in the land of the living. And one day we who are in the land of the died will join her again. He went off course. He went off notes. Where did that words come from to say that? It came from the Lord Jesus who would begin to minister joy to this man of God. I want to talk about joy this morning in closing. I want us to consider this thing, joy. Because our country's a mess right now. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. It's a mess. And it might get worse. But we, the people of God, need to be able to make a difference in our nation. Because people see we have joy. And they want that joy. It's contagious. It's conspicuous. And we can tell them where we got it. Four things about joy I want you to understand. The prophet had it in his day. God wants us to have it in ours. First of all, I want you to know that joy is an inside virtue. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the Apostle Paul gives the characteristics or the virtues 
of a person that is saved and a person that is walking with God. And one of those virtues, in fact, the second virtue he lists of that group is the virtue of joy. Now, some of you might be confused because we tend to interchange happiness and joy. But they're actually two different words. Happiness is for people that are once born. Joy is for people alone who are twice born. Happiness is for people who this is all they got. But joy is for people who realize that the best is still yet to come. Happiness is based on outside circumstance. Happiness is a feeling that's always based on what's going on around you from the outside. If the circumstance around you is good, you're happy. If the circumstance around you is bad, you're sad. That's happiness. Happiness is based on the circumstance you find yourself in. Therefore, happiness can change from moment to moment as the circumstances change. But joy is not a feeling. Joy is a virtue. Joy does not come from the outside in. Joy comes from the inside out. Joy does not come from circumstance. It comes from a reigning, ruling Christ in you. And joy is the byproduct of being saved. It's the byproduct of walking in the Spirit. Some people say, well, you can tell a man's spirit-filled because he speaks in tongues and he jumps pews and he can run around the church in ten seconds. I don't know if that proves anything except you fast. If you want to know if you're walking with God, do you have joy? I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for a salvation that doesn't give you joy. I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for claiming to be filled with the Spirit if you don't have joy. Joy comes from Jesus, and when Jesus is there, there's going to be joy. A joy that can't be shaken, a joy that can't be taken. You see, there were panic in the prophet's day. Everybody was saying, oh, 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 is me, what are we going to do? Some of you are saying, oh, oh, is me, what are we going to do? You say, Pastor, can, can we have joy when we lose a loved one? Absolutely. Just like R.A. Torrey, we can look at that casket and say, she's not there, he's not there there and they're doing fine and one day we'll see them again so this is not goodbye it's just see you later pastor can we have joy when we get a pink slip at work and lose our job yes you can can we have joy when we're going through separation and divorce yes you can can we have joy when a child is rebellious and far from us yes can you have joy pastor when you got a debilitating disease or illness Yes, you can. Can you have joy, Pastor, when you've been victimized by a crime? Yes. Can you have joy, Pastor, when you've been betrayed by your best friend? Yes. Can you have 
Joy, Pastor, when you've lost your dream and everything you've hoped for and schemed for is gone? Yes. Pastor, can you, can you have joy when your candidate loses the election? Yeah. Pastor, I got one for you. Can you have joy, Pastor, when Clemson loses? Absolutely. <laughs> I'd like to thank all of our Carolina fans for giving me a little donation to say that. <laughs> Listen, it doesn't matter what happens. Joy does not come this way. Joy comes this way. Joy cannot be changed by anything from the outside because it's on the inside. We have a defense installation we call NORAD. It's buried in a mountain that's fortified with steel and with wood and with other types of very strong materials. And they say of NORAD that it's indestructible, absolutely indestructible. Even a direct nuclear assault by the enemy cannot destroy the defense installation called NORAD. No matter what missiles the enemy shoots, NORAD will stand. You know something? God wants us to be like NORAD. Whatever missiles are shot from us, at us, our joy is indestructible. No matter what we will ever face in this world, our joy will always be there. Because it's an inside thing. I want you to also know, know that joy is not just an inside virtue, but joy gives us strength. Joy gives us strength. Look at verse 18 and 19 again of Habakkuk 3. Remember, this is he's summarizing his whole sermon. He says, I will what? Help me now. Rejoice in the Lord. I will find my joy in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. For the Lord God is my strength. Our, our children sing a little song. Maybe you sing it. The joy of the Lord is my strength. You say, that's a cute little jingle. It is, but it's a Bible jingle. It's a theological truth. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. How do God's people find the ability to carry on in the midst of trials and tribulations and troubles at every turn. It's because we have joy. And joy gives us strength. In Acts chapter 5, Peter and John are called before the religious leaders of their day. And by the way, the Bible doesn't teach religion, it teaches relationship. Religion was cooked up by the devil to confuse people. The Bible teaches a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. But the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, call Peter and John in, in Acts chapter 5 before them. They said, listen, you guys quit preaching about this Jesus. We demand, we order you to quit preaching Jesus. And if you don't stop preaching Jesus, we're going to arrest you. We're going to put you in prison. We might even take your head off your neck. 
The Bible says in Acts chapter 5 that Peter and John, upon hearing that, left that council with their head down, moaning and groaning. If you believe that, you don't know your Bible. The Bible says Peter and John, upon hearing that, said, <laughs> that's okay. And they walked out singing a song, rejoicing. Wow. Where did they find the strength to be able to do that from the joy of the Lord? What about Paul and Silas? The Bible says in Acts chapter 16, they were in prison. Now, prison in that day wasn't a country club like ours today. They were in the hole. It was dark. It was cold. It was moist. It was wet. Rats and roaches were everywhere. Sewage was on the floor. The screams of dying men could be heard. The profanity and vulgarity of living men waiting to die could be heard. And yet in the midst of all of that, God's two men began to sing Amazing Grace. <laughs> At least I think that's what it was. You say, Pastor, how will we know what they sang? We'll get to heaven and we'll ask them. But the Bible says they just began to sing. And they began to sing what the Bible says, the songs of praises. And that word praise is an interesting word. It comes from a word in the Greek that means praises of joy. Paul and Silas just began to sing praises of joy to God. And they were able then to stay in that prison and be a witness. Long before Elvis ever did any jailhouse rock, Paul and Silas did. And they found joy. I like what D.L. Moody said. Great evangelist, the Billy Graham of his day. He said, God never uses a discouraged, sad Christian because they're too weak and easily defeated. You see, when you have joy because you're saved, because you're filled with the Spirit, because you're walking with God, you have strength, and that strength enables you to do supernatural things that other people can't do. And they, they look at you and say, I wonder how Peter and John could do that. I wonder how Paul and Silas could do that. I wonder how you can do that. I wonder how I can do that. It makes a testimony for Jesus unshakable. Joy is an inside job. It's an inside virtue. Joy gives us strength. Thirdly, Joy is always tied to faith. Joy and faith are brothers. Every time you see one, you'll see the other because they're twins. They're the flip side, really, of the same coin. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, we see a familiar phrase that Paul will later use in the book of Romans. Habakkuk says to the people of his day, The just shall live by what? The just shall live by what? The just shall live by what? Faith. You see, faith and joy go together. Many of you may not know what faith is, but faith is really just having good, good vision. Actually, it's having Superman vision. Those of you who know Superman know that he had supervision. He had x-ray vision. He could see through anything. Aren't you glad I don't have x-ray vision? I'm sure glad you don't. 
We can't have x-ray vision, but Superman had something else. He had telescopic vision. In other words, he could see things that were miles and miles and miles away. God's people have telescopic vision if they have faith. Telescopic vision says, I can see not just the moment, but I can see beyond the moment. I can see not just what's happening now, but I can see what's going to happen later. People with faith, they don't, they see the promises of God long before they ever come to pass. They see the power of God long before it ever comes to bear. They see the provisions of God long before it ever arrives. They see victory long before victories ever come. You see, Habakkuk had that ability. Yes, his country was a mess. Yes, his people were in panic. Yes, the Babylonians were coming. But see, Habakkuk had the ability to look beyond the moment and see further down the road. And ladies and gentlemen, we need that ability. Because we have a Bible, a completed Bible. He didn't have that. But our Bible tells us we've won. The victory's ours. So whatever we're facing right now, hey, that's okay. It's all going to turn out all right. Keep singing your song. Don't let lose it. Bible says Moses, he looked at Egypt. He looked at all the temptations for wine, women, and song. Why didn't he succumb to those temptations? Because he saw heaven. And he saw in heaven, everything up there was so much better than down here. Pharaoh had a lot to offer, but what God had to offer in heaven, it was no comparison. Peanuts versus gold. And Moses said, Pharaoh, no thank you. I don't need your wine. I don't need your women. I don't need your pleasures of Egypt. I'll be faithful to my God and I'll serve him. And when David stood before Goliath, you know, everybody else saw that huge mountain of a man. I call him a tank man. He was armored from head to toe. He was unbeatable. And everybody saw Goliath and their, their knees knocked. And yet David, he didn't see Goliath. He saw past Goliath and saw God. He didn't see a giant that had power. He saw a God who had promise. And if you recall, the prophet of God, speaking for God, said to David, one day you're going to be the king of Israel. One day Saul will be out of power and David, you will be on the throne now, David was a shepherd boy when all of this has happened. He's not king yet. Are you thinking with me? David saw the promise of God. He saw God. He didn't see Goliath. David figured this out. He was a smart cookie, David was. He said, if God said, I'm going to be the king, then, David, then Goliath can't kill me. Because if Goliath kills me, I wouldn't be king, and then God would tell me a lie. He believed that God always does what God says. I'm here to submit to you this morning that David could have walked out backwards to face Goliath. He could have taken his slingshot and shot the rock straight up in the air. And I can tell you this on the authority of the Word of God, that that stone would have went straight up and shot this way. <laughs> David couldn't lose. This was, this was fixed. This was professional wrestling in the beginning. I'm sorry, some of you didn't know that. 
David the baby face beat Goliath the heel because he could see something beyond that nobody else could see. When Jesus was on the cross, he didn't see the cross. He saw the crown that waited him. He didn't see the suffering. He saw the souls of you and I in the balance. And that faith gave him the joy, and that joy gave him the strength to endure the cross. Keith and I had the privilege of being at the bedside of Mr. Leon Ratliff in the last days of his life. Mr. Leon and Miss Jetty were godly people. You build a church on those kind of people, both of them are in heaven. Mr. Leon had had cancer for a long time, but you'd have never known it. He was always so pleasant to talk with. But in the last days of his life, he was just laid out on a bed. Wasn't seeing much, wasn't hearing much, wasn't really responding much, but he was there. And toward the end, he began to open his eyes a little bit more, and he'd kind of scanned, scanned, scanned something that was up there that none of us looking could see. He began to talk about hearing things that we couldn't hear. And then in the last hours of his life, maybe, maybe the last day I was there, Mr. Leon began, who was lying flat on his back in bed, began to march in that bed. Now he's laying flat on his back and he's picking up his knees. He's marching. He's marching towards something we can't see, but he can see it. He's marching toward a voice that we can't hear, but he can hear it. He's marching to Zion. I believe Keith sang a song similar to that to him when he was there. Mr. Leon passed away and went to be with Jesus. You see, faith sees what other people can't see. Faith hears what other people can't hear. Faith experiences what other people can't experience. And from that faith, there comes a joy of knowing that we've won. We've won. We've read the end of the book. We've won. Joy is always tied to faith, the ability to see far ahead. Joy gives us strength. Joy comes from the inside out. And then lastly, joy is always robbed by sin. You see, you might be sitting here saying, well, Pastor, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I don't have joy. There's only one of two answers, ladies and gentlemen. Either you're not a Christian, or you've got something in your life that's blocking the joy. You see, David was a man after God's own heart. God kept his word. David became the king. And David walked with God most of his life, but he had moments where he detoured off the path. We all do. David had a particularly bad moment when he detoured off the path. He committed adultery. And then to cover up his adultery, he committed murder. And then to cover up the adultery and the murder, he began to lie and cheat. Long before there was Watergate, there was David Gate. 
Long before one of our presidential candidates started lying, David was lying. And God began to move on his man. Understand something, if you're a child of God and you blatantly rebel against the word of God, you will find yourself under the discipline of God. And David began to be disciplined by God. And the first thing that happened to David in that disciplining process that would bring him repentance is God took his joy. David always had joy, and God took the joy from him. And David became frustrated, he became aggravated, he became miserable, he became depressed. That's why in Psalm 51, he in desperation cries out to God. He said, God, I've had enough, I can't take it no more. God, I'm sorry for my sin. Forgive me of my sin. Return to me the joy of my salvation. I want the joy back. And if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. Cleanse us of all iniquity. Return the joy. And God did that for David. Now David still paid for his sin. The consequences of it would never go away. But David's joy came back. You see, God will take away the joy if we're not doing right. God is long-suffering. He's patient. He gives us a long chain. God is good and He's kind. He's gracious and He's merciful. But listen, ladies and gentlemen, there will come a time when God gets a little bit in, I guess you might want to say His patience runs out. And He says, Jim Palmer, I've given you all the chain I'm going to give you. I'm now about to take my paddle and put it on your backside. I'm going to turn you back to me. And that's what he did to David. And that paddle was, he took David's joy. And when David repented, God gave it back. Is there a sin today that might be in your life? Oh, I know it's an it's a bitsy teeny weeny sin. Like the bikini, it's just a little one. <laughs> oh, I know, I, know, I know it's a little one. I, 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 know it's, I know it doesn't mount to much. I know your sin isn't as bad as the person sitting next to you's. But that sin displeases the Lord. And that sin has caused him to now take your joy away. Could that be you? You see, joy is the flag that flies over the castle when King Jesus is on the throne. But if King Jesus isn't on the throne, you are. And you're doing what you want to do. Your will be done, not His then the flag of joy is going to come down. Joy. If you don't have it, there's only one of two answers. Listen to your pastor. Either you're not saved or you're not living right. Because if you're saved, you got Jesus. And if you're living right, He's going to fill you with joy. He may not change the circumstances you face, but he'll give you the joy in them. A 
Our joy is not found in who's in the White House. It's so sad that so many people are trying to say, I have no hope, I have no future because of this one or that. Listen, our, our hope is not found in Gary, Hillary, or Donald. Our hope is not found in Republicans and Democrats, blue and red and conservative and liberal. And Our hope is not found in this policy or that policy. If you're looking for your joy in those places, you'll always be miserable. Find your joy in Jesus. And it'll be well with your soul. I will rejoice in the Lord, said Habakkuk. My nation's falling apart. My people are wicked. The Babylonians are coming. <laughs> he said, that's all right. My joy is in the Lord. My joy is in the God of my salvation. He will be my strength. And he's going to take my feet and give me the feet of deer. And I'm going to go up that mountain. And it will be well with my soul. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.